Hello, everyone. This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my God, Trump, and 2020 podcast for Friday, September 11th, only 53 days before the most important election of our lifetime. And you know I've written books about it. In fact, a, a book by this title, and I've been interviewing people. And today, my I'm interviewing, I have the privilege of interviewing a man who I consider one of my closest friends and who is a major voice in the African-American community. His name is Bishop Harry R. Jackson, Jr. And uh, in my opinion, uh, he's one of the great voices in our culture at a time when there seems to be uh, a vacuum of leadership in the African-American community, especially in the church. And this is so ironic because, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and those who were with him, his brother, um, Ralph Abernathy, all these people were clergymen, and the whole civil rights movement was based on the call for justice out of the Bible. And now it has just gone to the point where anarchists have kind of hijacked this. And so within this context, Bishop Jackson is stepping up and has written a major new book called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. So first of all, welcome to my podcast, and I am eager to find out. I just found out about the book uh, not long ago. I have not had a chance to read it, so you need to tell me and my listeners why we need to read it, because I think this is so important, especially with everything that's going on. Well, thank you. Steve, uh, again, thank you for having me on. The book was born out of a sense of calling to bring a prophetic message, if you will, uh, to the nation. And I began to see three historic shifts that are important. I think at the end of the day, it becomes a reason for Blacks. Uh, people and Hispanics and Asians to band together to have election power. Uh, They can become uh, an amazing voting bloc. Here's here's the deal. With the uh, growth of the Hispanic community, the high abortion level in the black community, and in uh, light of the Asian community's journey, it will take all three of these groups to come together, Steve, around a biblical Christian agenda in order not to get played by the Democratic Party. I want to say it really quickly. The summary version is very graphic, but I believe that Black America has been in a adulterous relationship with the Democratic Party, figuratively speaking. It's like they don't want to take us out for a, a dinner. They have no romance. They show up at a door at midnight wanting sexual favors. And the problem is there's no legitimacy as we think about this, they won't put a ring on it in the words of Beyonce. So that's the problem. There's no agenda for black people. So now we have the demagoguery of what's going on with Black Lives Matter, the kneeling of congressional leaders 
um, in Washington, D.C., were in Kente cloth, but no substantive, um, how can you say it, policy changes have happened. So at this point, if we shift the vote, vote shift 2020, let's call it, if we execute vote shift 2020, we'll break the back of the stranglehold that the Democratic Party has had on the black community and will enter into a season that both parties have to vie for our vote. So if an independent leads, reads this or listens to this podcast, you need to get the podcast because I tell a family story that I'll come back to, but it's essentially the whole book is about my family trying to disciple my brother and I by taking us on a trip to Norfolk, Virginia every year from Ohio. We start off sitting in the back as kids that want to use the bathroom and stop every 15 minutes. And, but we eventually come of age to drive. And then beyond that, we decide to take other trips together and we become part of deciding where we go, how we go, and the pace that we go. If the black community isn't curried, or I should say isn't wooed at this particular time, including this analogy, if the vote shift doesn't happen now, uh, Black Lives Matter is Marxist, Black Lives Matter has an anti-family agenda, Black Lives Matter will take us in the wrong direction and we will be silenced as the preachers of pulpits are silenced. And if we win the vote, and we're saying that Donald Trump is emblematic of freedom from the ideological and political plantation blacks have been on. If we vote for him, this book becomes a manifesto the architectural plan, I've gone long, and I simply say, give your skeptic friends, get it in their hands right now, and let them read this book, and I believe they'll come out of the independent place, and they'll vote now for Trump with a view toward uh, a shift in the future, and the message is going over well. All Christians should read this book. Why Vote is here. Why Vote Christian Agenda is here. Third, why minorities especially should vote for the principles of freedom that are laid out in the book. Well, I'm so glad you're speaking up because I believe that you're a prophetic voice. I believe that you're much more influential even than you might give yourself credit for. Uh, you have been uh, very consistent for very many years and... Um, you know, this is an issue that I've been concerned about personally. We've written about it in Charisma Magazine and in various ways, and I included a whole chapter on the relationship of black Americans, the, uh, Donald Trump and the Democratic Party in my book. In fact, I quote you in the book. Uh, but, you know, from a historical point of view, it was the Democrats that were the party of slavery. I mean, through the Civil War, even after the Civil War with the 13th uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th Amendments that gave the freed slaves rights. 
It was the Jim Crow laws passed by Democrats. You know, all these statues of Confederates that they're pulling over, they were all Democrats. Uh, the Republicans were the party of Lincoln, of course. And, some, and early on, every single freed slave was a Republican for, you know, decades. And, of course, that shifted. Uh, you, In fact, you helped me uh, understand the shift that happened, not only with the passage of the Civil Rights Bill by Lyndon Baines Johnson, but the famous call that uh, President Kennedy made to credit Scott King when Martin Luther King Jr. was in prison, the whole thing with the uh, Christian school movement, the Dixiecrats, all of that stuff came from you. Uh, thank you very much. But, you know, that was my way to just try to lay it out and say, you know, wake up. I mean, the Republican Party is not perfect. In fact, they have not been as proactive in trying to, you know, get their message out. And listen, I have no interest in promoting the Republican Party, believe me. But now we have an election. And in our system, it's between two people. It's between Joe Biden and all that he and the Democrats represent. And it's not the same Democratic Party of uh, John Kennedy or even Harry Truman. It's just not. It's just changed so, so much. And... Um, and I'm so glad that you're getting out this message, but right now we have an election. And now the black, and you know, until recently, the whole uh, Black Lives Matter issue and the anarchy and, and the fact that they were Marxist, uh, it, was, it did not seem in play at all. It seemed like, you know, the African American community tended to be more liberal. Um, and I feel that uh, the Democratic Party is not even liberal anymore. You know, I mean, they're far, far left. So I see a little bit of a shift, particularly in the Christian community, where they would be concerned about uh, pro-life. They would be concerned about traditional marriage and, of course, religious freedom, because we're seeing our religious freedoms uh, attacked like never before. Never before in American history have pastors been arrested for holding church, and that has happened several times now, and it's still going on out there in California. So uh, yeah. I'm glad that your manifesto, you're speaking up, you're prophetic, and so and, and you even mentioned the word shift. So talk to me a little bit about the shift that's taking place, because, you know, you've got everyone from Candace Owens to uh, Diamond and Silk. You know, they of course, they would be in the media, but there's many people that aren't in the media that are beginning to wake up too. So what shift do you see going on? And maybe I should also ask, what shift do you think needs to happen? Well, great. In the first chapter in the book you have on the outside flip, flap, it says the word empowered. And in a moment, I'll take 90 seconds to spell out these nine attitudes and strategies. And it only takes that much time to say what they are, that they are the long game, uh, they are the strategic direction. Right now, there's a cry that is going forth, let's see something different happen. Uh, we're starting to see pastors coming to me, sort of like Nicodemus, uh, people came to Jesus uh, at night, and they're saying, I'm with you, I just don't want to get my people stirred up. So we've got to understand uh, that pastors are saying, I don't want a controversy, but I want to make sure that I don't miss a moment. And I'm saying that there is a need for courage. And so 
uh, the campaign is going. I'm going to every event because there are African-Americans and friends of African-Americans who are literally buying my book uh, 10 copies at a time. They're passing it out to their friends who are independent, and they're saying um, the media uh, agenda for President Trump uh, or against President Trump has been saying he's a racist. Now, Steve, you may not know that I sat in the White House in the Oval Office with the president and his advisors, oh, about 15 to 20 of us, sat there right after Charlottesville. We talked about the narrative that he was a racist and that he needed to combat it uh, vocally and symbolically in many ways. I was also in a talking session with the president um, at my, or in Dallas, Texas. Uh, It was a week after um, we had, the vice president had been at my church talking about police reform with an amazingly uh, powerful group. And so I've had the talk. I've been with the president over 20, 30 times. I've been at these rallies. I'm here to say there is a shift that is happening. People are accepting. I believe this book will accelerate the shift. And if anybody's listening is still saying, well, I don't like the guy, I'm saying there is a policy reason. There's a Christian biblical reason to vote for him. I happen to like him, uh, but I've had exposure to him. I've had access to him. So, see, whenever you're ready, I'll read these nine things. It's The word empowered is spelled out, but it spells out strategy and biblical mindset that we must take. It's where we have to drive to. Well, like please, my family did. please yeah. do. But before you do that, I'd like to just um, render this opinion that when Donald Trump was a Democrat, you know, and when was that, the 80s or 90s, when he was a New York billionaire, the darling yep. of the press, he was never called a racist. And if someone's a racist, they're basically racist lifelong. He was never called that until he ran as a Republican. And, um, and also, you talk about policy reasons to vote for him. There's policy reasons not to vote for Biden, uh, very serious ones. We don't have time to go into it now, but sometimes you vote for someone because they're the lesser of two evils. And, you know, that's got to be put into the equation somehow um, because any, you know, calling someone a racist is just, uh, it's almost like a swear word. I mean, anybody can call anybody anything. It doesn't make it true. So why don't you go ahead now with these nine powerful things and we'll uh, kind of wrap up the uh, podcast, but I want people to know how they can get this book. So go ahead and share the nine points. Okay, nine points. Real simple is the word empowered. First is educational reform. Uh, e stands for education reform, and the learning gap is huge, and it limits all minorities, black, white, Asian, etc., M stands for marriage rebuilding as a social strategy. 
And uh, we've got to empower that with public policies and strategies, tax incentives. P stands for public policy reform. And what I mean by that is criminal justice reform as we've already started. We've referenced testimonies in the book. O stands for oversight of minority and community uh, engagement. It's so important that we don't complain as minorities without investing time, talent, treasure in the political process. Wealth creation. Wealth creation, the generational transfer of wealth, the ownership levels in our communities, 42% of blacks own homes. That means 58% do not. Uh, 46% of Hispanics own homes, 50% of Asians. And unfortunately, compared to the white community, 76 plus percent own their homes. The average wealth transferred by home ownership is $156,000. An apartment dweller transfers single digit numbers in the thousands. It's a horrific disparity and it keeps generational poverty going. So E, the second E stands for entrepreneurship. If a black business is raised up, such as the Opportunity Zones give, Opportunity 4, we will have people given a discipleship uh, avenue where you have a job and a calling. Everybody looks at a job. R stands for Righteous Injustice, Moral Guidelines. E stands for Empathy versus Retaliation, and we need that now. And destiny with dignity for all humankind includes concern about abortion, concern that we save black lives in the womb, going all the way through the kids who have death at an early age, as we used to call it in education, going all the way through the fact that people who have been in prison need to get out and get a second chance, the nonviolent offenders especially, and we should not euthanize the elderly. That's essentially every one of these has history, Steve. I talk about the fact that there's a unified church, unified Christians uh, at Change America. I've got two stories I tell at every rally that if we have time, I would tell them, and it has to do with a combination of Maine the state of Maine and Washington, D.C. If you have the time, I'll tell you those stories very, very quickly. Uh, Please do. Okay. We start with the Civil War begins as it is getting ready to begin. Harriet Beecher Stowe writes a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Little did she know, being the wife of a professor at Bowdoin College in Maine, is that one-tenth of the main male population would enlist in the Civil War to fight for the Union. There were no slaves in Maine. There was Christian conviction. This is a story about the whole church coming together, unifying around an agenda. So they were abolishing slavery. 
there was an amazing event called Gettysburg, a major battle. At the Battle of Gettysburg, a man named Joshua uh, Lars Chamberlain uh, was standing on the top of the hill, the siding battle point at Gettysburg. He was a former professor of religion, and uh, this professor looked up in the heavens. He said later on in his writings, he saw an open vision that if he lost that hill, he would lose the Civil War. So as he stood there, he just didn't know what to do. He had been charged by the rebels at the bottom of the hill. The rebels charged twice, and they did not realize that the Union guys at the top of the hill were out of ammunition. So Chamberlain says, affix bayonets, and he charged. He did the unthinkable. He charged down the hill, giving up his advantage behind barricades at the top, and the Rebs were so uh, overwhelmed and shocked. They dropped their guns. They surrendered. His men said, sir, we don't have any ammunition. He said, hush up. They don't know. And so we won the Battle of Gettysburg because of a supernatural incident that happened on the wings of Unified Church. Last story that is amazing. Another person from Maine, after Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, Chamberlain went on to become a general in the Army and the he became the governor of the state of Maine, and he called times of prayer and fasting. The next story is general uh, that went down to the Congress, knocked at the doors, waited insistently after the war. Finally, they had a hearing, and they said, we believe that you're right. We need to give black people their own university. This is where HBCUs started. The, so they said, what are we going to name this university? The decision was made by Congress that they would name the university after the white Christian abolitionist general who advocated for them to have training. His name was General Howard. Howard University was named after this abolitionist general. So our history is that whenever the church unifies in a pointed strategic manner, we break yokes of demonic opposition and problems are broken. I believe that was the truth really of the civil rights movement when whites started getting involved, when whites finally voted the right way, we saw the thing shift. So we need to vote shift 2020 from blacks. We need to get books like this in the hands of people so they can make an intelligent decision. It is in hardback. It is in audiobook, And it is also in ebook formats. And we need to get it out now so we can do the vote shift. And then we'll break the back of a demonic stronghold, I believe, that has people advocating um, abortion, generational poverty. There are ways, I'm working with HUD right now on ways that we can get uh, housing 
increased. And this administration is working in the wealth creation area, is advocating education, is advocating um, the uh, amazing entrepreneurship with the small business issues and uh, the opportunity zones. It is working amazingly uh, pro-life. It's it's supporting uh, historic black uh, institutions. Uh, Trump gave funding that normally would take would be a 10 years approvals in one year so that HBCUs don't have to come with um, hat in hand every single year wondering how sustainable their institutions are. And I believe more money is coming. I talk about it in the book, Prison Reform, and I'll stop there and I appreciate your time. This is a strategic Kairos moment and we the church, uh, should we rise up and unite across uh, ethnic bounds, I believe we will change America for good. And it's going to be a process, the manifesto, a manifesto written in the front flap is a way to begin a process that in our lifetime, We'll see a more even playing field, King's dream revealed, and I believe we'll celebrate the courage of people uh, that are rising up now from leadership positions and saying, I'm getting off the plantation, I'm making a change, and I'm excited about it, sir. Boy, you packed a lot into a few minutes, and there's so much more that your book unpacks too, and I just encourage people to get it. Um, and the point you bring about the church being unified and you know bringing the love of Jesus to the situation is so important. It's a message that the politicians and the media and all those people, they don't even understand it, let alone articulate it, and you do it so well. So as we wrap up the podcast, uh, tell the reader, I know that it's probably in all the normal places, but is there a way that people can connect with you or a way that they can actually buy the book from your ministry? Uh, yes. Um, you can reach out to me um, personally, Harry Jackson Ministries, harryjacksonministries.com. I'm also the pastor of Hope uh, Christian Church, so the Hope Connection dot org, but the book is available at Barnes and Noble. It's books a million. Uh, it's everywhere books are sold. Uh, Amazon, obviously, and so forth. Uh, I'm excited about the distribution, and I will reiterate that um, Tony Evans has endorsed this book, Rick Warren, uh, Alveda King, Robert Morris, Jensen Franklin, James Robinson, and the beat goes on, Jay Strack, a lot of Southern Baptists are with me on this, as well as the charismatic movement, Marcus Lamb, I could go on and on, uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, Tom Mullins there in Florida, 
we need to see this vote shift happen. Our friend Apostle Guillermo Maldonado, also Sammy Rodriguez, Rabbi Jonathan Khan, and um, I believe 5 to 7% shift increase in the Black, Hispanic, and Asian votes. That dimension of shift in each one would actually shift the entire election. So we see we need vote shift 2020. So reach well, out to us. Amen. Sorry, sir. Well, thank you so much for taking time from a very busy schedule in the week that you got married. So congratulations to you, and I'm eager to meet your new wife. Uh, you deserve a lot of happiness, and thank you for being a voice in our country, especially at this very important time. It is a Kairos moment, and I encourage my listeners to share this with others. We need to get this message out far and wide, and be sure to check out his book, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. Tune in again tomorrow for another podcast as we count down the election. It's only 53 days from today. Thank you for listening. I'm Stephen Strang. The hypocrisy on the left is astounding. They are so desperate to criticize President Trump that even this worldwide pandemic, they attempt to belittle him and blame him for the crisis. In my book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election, I go into detail about how I think history will remember our 45th president. History has shown that Winston Churchill was the right man at the right time, yet he was not a popular leader in his day. He was described with some of the same words people have used to describe President Trump. Ruthless, unstable, unsound, an embarrassment, to name a few. But the way the world now looks at Winston Churchill is how I believe history will remember Donald Trump. It was said of Churchill, thank God for a leader like Churchill. He was not polite or polished, but he was used to save many lives in a time of war. America, we're at war with an invisible enemy. I thank God Donald Trump is our president. Go to GodTrump2020.com and learn more.